Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. The Leadership Learns podcast brings you inspiring stories from diverse global leaders from a range of different organizations and industries on how they innovate and improve to become the best possible leader. With me today is Tahir Khalid, CTO at Trini London. Tahir has worked in software development for almost 20 years across multiple markets, including psychology, banking, and e-commerce. At Trini London, he's responsible for leading the technology and delivery teams, creating a supportive culture to drive the growth of the business and its investment in people. Tahir, welcome. Thanks so much for being with me. Great to see you. Um, how are you and how on earth has the last 18 months been for you? Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, no, it's, it's been uh, crazy. Actually, uh, when I joined Trini, it was just a couple of months uh, before lockdown. So it was, it was quite interesting starting a new position, getting to know an organization and a company with as rapid growth as Trini London has had, and then suddenly be um, thrown into lockdown and and how we can operate as a business. And all the, I remember the first lockdown, all the unknowns of what would happen to economy, the business, how would people react to it? What are the worries, all that kind of stuff. So actually, I'd say it's been um, a, a crazy, but an amazing 18 months. What we've seen is, is a, you know, a lot of changes in the way um, people do business, a lot of changes in consumer habits, but at the same time, the resilience, I think, of some markets. So I think it's been a, a really great time for e-commerce and actually for digital transformations. So um, if people weren't on that bandwagon, they definitely are now. And I think um, the interesting thing for us was we were a kind of a web-first, e-com-first organization, and that really helped us. Interesting thing was how we transformed tech, but things like our editing, our um, uh, marketing teams, our product development, it was actually quite a how do we get these to be really kind of out of the office when traditionally they've always been in office roles. But I'd say we landed on our feet quite quickly. And um, I mean, we've seen how productive we can be really with a hybrid system. And I think that's really where we're going to be. How much growth have you guys gone through in the last 18 months? What's the size of the the team in Remit when you started to hear what, you know, where are you now? I mean, um, in terms of the organization and headcount, when I started, there was maybe four or five people in technology. Um, we are 55 almost now. I think the business, uh, saying there's about 40 people in the business. Now we're about 150 plus still growing. Um, and that's, you know, just kind of headcount. I think we did what 16 new launches alone last year in lockdown. So, you know, we're, we're definitely not taking the foot off the gas. <laughs> I think technology and engineering has always been a, a passion. So I was a gamer. I was, I was into sci-fi or probably still am in both. Um, and really kind of technology seemed a natural progression. And I really enjoyed building software. And I started off really in web development anyway. So I, I did projects around streaming and I got into consultancy to start off with. And so I jumped around a lot of telecommunications projects like that and really loved building. I, 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 was, I loved the, the idea of creating value and, and looking at the, the outcome, the results of what I was doing. And really, I uh, moved around quite a few industries and was lucky enough to get quite a lot of experience and kind of oversight into a lot of different markets. And almost every business I've worked in, I've either joined in a period of growth or sale or transformation. So pretty much, I, I've not seen what status quo looks like in, in anything I've ever done. It's always been a, a growth or an aspiration to change. Why do you th- what is it from your background? What is it in, with you where 
you think you kind of gravitate towards these kind of high growth, exciting journeys. I, I like challenge. I mean, I, I couldn't just do so. I like variety. I think that's where I took, and I like, or we like working for, with people, which is maybe sometimes around technology, but um, which is why I gravitated more and more to the management and the, the delivery and the strategy side of things. And I think I started off in quite large enterprise, multinational organizations. And that was great. It was a great experience to see how they work and the scale and sheer impact of things. But then my first startup I joined, I was hooked with the change and the the not knowing how things are happening. I, I remember uh, building a whole new platform from scratch from an idea, um, which became the third main prominent platform in a company I used to work with, which has now been sold twice. And, uh, you know, working with the founders as well, kind of that the idea of titles and hierarchy don't really mean anything in terms of working as a team. So I, I really like the horizontal kind of structure. And then um, I think companies in a scale-up stage are really exciting because that's where I like to think of bringing structure to chaos. So I like the idea of we have something there, it's proven, it's now how do you make it a sustainable or well-oiled machine? And I think I've kind of followed that across all the experience of the people and the companies I've worked with. Sometimes, and especially with that level of growth, we've had growth ourselves, but not not in 18 months from 42 or 150, that's significant. What, what are the biggest challenges that you as a leader face with managing product you mentioned there's 16 launches in lockdown as well as going at that rate of not so there might be a couple of quite obvious answers there but what are the biggest challenges during uh during all of that there's actually something to be said about when you're six people in a room and you kind of wear every hat under the sun but you can just make things happen and you can be scrappy and i think the the challenge with any company that's scaling is how do you keep that mentality but you now need to manage risk because you might know what six people think, you might, but it's hard to then know what 40 people think. And then actually you can be involved in every decision in a small room. But when you have a, a company of 150 people, you can't be involved in every decision and you have to have that level of autonomy or you end up having a lot of red tape or, or delaying. And that's what happens with a lot of companies that scale. They actually become less efficient and they become less able to move with more agility. And so the the key thing uh, like the we try to always come back to is what we call like startup mentality. So you can't, the reality is you need process, you need structure, you need career progression, you need people in your team to feel safe and know what growth looks like for them. You need all of these things in place, but you need people to have a mindset, which is about being scrapped. So your work is, you know, enterprise level, your, I mean, if I go to engineering, your quality is high, your test coverage is high, your cadence across the team, your linting, all of that is um, coherent across the whole department, but everyone may have a skill or may have a strength, but they're not afraid to be thrown into unknown waters. And it's more about getting together to get the job done. What percentage of the business were working remotely before lockdown and what percentage are now doing like a hybrid type of sale? We're not a remote business. So majority of the time, everyone was in the office. Um, we were actually running out of seats. We were growing too fast. We had all the problems you have of companies where you hire you know, more people than floor space. So actually, I'd say we might have had a, you know people, individuals who would take days to work from home here and there, but it was an office-based business. We've redesigned the office and it's to create a, a more collaborative and actually hybrid space for people to be on site and on, at home. And I think the difference is when you had remote workers or at least, you know, people who were fully remote or people who wanted to work from home and be flexible, I think flexible hours or flexible working is the is the buzzword. Actually, that means so many different things to so many different people and different departments and different teams work so differently. 
And I think the approach we've taken is um, what we call purpose-driven facilitation. So it's not about you need to be in X percentage. You you need to you know be seen um, this amount of time. And and actually, what we found is that that empowers teams, managers, individuals to really manage around their life because we have people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all uh, different stages in their personal lives. And what we found is this is increased productivity. Of course, there have been challenges about how do you manage and how do you create cross-department, cross-team communication when you may not know who's around, who's not around. I'd like to go back just a a few moments to where you, you mentioned a few things and you're absolutely right being less efficient, less agile, and needing to take risk and, and, and acting that mindset to be scrappy was the phrase you used here. And I like that mindset to be scrappy, like happy to turn your hand to anything to get stuff done, right? How do you bring that into your hiring process to make sure that you do have people that aren't just looking at, no, nope, that's my job and I don't want to do anything aside from that. How do you make sure that you have that mindset to be scrappy in terms of your hiring? So I think one thing that's difficult to do is to ensure you you hire a wide range of different mindsets, different people. You know, um, like first thing is to really understand your team. And you're never going to be perfect at it, but to understand what kind of, not just skills you have, not just who's a senior, who's a lead, but what kind of interactions they have, who's a strong communicator, who's more introverted, who's extrovert, who thinks more, who needs time, who's very quick to act, which are your firefighters, which are your steady doers. And you look at what kind of gaps blind spots you're trying to fill. I think first is to really understand not just skills wise, but what you're looking for in a person or in a role, then to really structure the interview. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, questions and answers help you get a feel, but doing a task together, giving a challenge, role play, it's a lot harder to do. Um, in a way, some, some of the online tooling actually helps um, with some of this, but I think all of that helps you get a sense of how people work and how people kind of tick. And then you kind of kind of put the two together. And actually, it's, it's two ways. I mean, make sure people know what they're coming into. And, you know, sometimes you'll get that wrong. Sometimes that doesn't work. But it's really important. It meets both sides, their needs and our needs. And you can meet in the middle. Because the thing about, you know, walking into a really fast-paced, um, ambitious organization is there will be chaos. There will be, you know, deadlines. There will be, you know, we're all getting it together. There'll also be celebrations. There'll also be calm times. There'll be time to learn. You'll get exposed to so much more than you would to like just a really fixed scope role, but you've also got to be um, ready for it. The managing expectations side is something that we haven't spoken about too much on the on the episodes that we've had so far, but you're right. It, it can be chaos and letting people know that it's going to be chaotic at times and that we just need people that have got that agile, flexible approach. It's going to take a bit of time to work out is, is, is a really good point. And um, do you um, specifically before each hire take a step back and go, right, what, what would be good for this team right now? Or do you kind of do things on a quarterly basis of where we're getting to? How does that all work, the detail of that? So I'm trying to think. There's, there's a couple of things. So when I, initially, I was actually very involved like in every single interview. And for me, it was to find the right team who would work directly with me. And I think that's really important. So I feel like I found the right leadership team who can now be autonomous and I can empower them. So then I can I can drop and drop out or they, I can coach them or they can come to me with, what do you think about this? And actually it's, it's, the, it's also the balance of working out what's right for now, what's right for the future. Um, the term I've always loved is you don't offshore your problems. So I, I quite like this idea of augmented teams where 
we control them and we, you know, they are kind of time and material, but they join our standups. Um, they, I don't need a project manager to, to run projects. They don't own a project. They work in teams with my perm engineers and they solve projects and problems. And that's how we scale up and scale down. And so I think the difficulty for growing companies is you're always going to have this bell curve where you're going to hire a lot more people or you're going to need a lot more people to grow and accelerate. And then actually when you've built your systems, when you're a bit more enterprise, that BAU, that day-to-day, those inefficiencies, you creep out and you, you then find that happy medium of kind of this is the right size tech team, regardless of the level of growth we're aiming for. And, you know, you pivot a bit. So I think it's really important to have strategies about how you scale short to midterm, because if you do it badly, you actually alienate your staff because everyone fears, well, am I just here for now and not long term and all that kind of stuff. But if it's if it's well understood and, and you have that plan, then I think you can manage both cost from a business level, but you can also have teams that are long lived while you're also dealing with the here and now. How, what are your communication strategies to make sure that, as you put it, people don't get left behind and they, they're unaware of what's going on or, or any changes. How do you guys manage your communication? I'd say there's no magic wand. You know, we've done a lot of things right and we've learned from a lot of things that haven't gone so well. But like, first, most important thing is it has to be two-way, right? You can't just have one-way, bottom-up, top-down communication. I think you need to have multiple mediums. So regardless of if, you've, if you're in a smaller team or a less changing, I guess, layout, you say something in a meeting and people walk away and you think, oh, it's heard, everyone's understood it. That that doesn't work. Like you need to have, you need to reiterate, you need to make sure it's not just an email, it's not just a meeting, it's not just Slack or it's not, you know, how many touch points do you have? Are they the right touch points? You can go the other way where you create too many touch points and it alienates people. Um, so I think it's finding the right medium for the different sources as well. You can only learn by doing, as we say to all of our staff, so you're completely empowered to fail. The only way that you're really going to learn properly is by failing and getting up and going, right, that didn't work. How are we going to go again? Let's talk a little bit more then from a, from, from your role as CTO. What are some of the, the easiest mistakes a CTO can make when growing a technology function and team from your from your standpoint to here? I think you, you get a lot of different kind of, I guess, organizations. So I think first thing is to know the company you're coming into. It's really easy to come in and look at what's wrong, but actually it's really important to come in and understand the organization and, and a little bit of the history. So actually you can, you can look at what goals, what they've achieved, and then you can really work out what's going well. What are the, what are, what's your first 90 days going to look like? What are the things you think you can leave the biggest footprint on and, and support? So I think that's the, the, the first mistake would, I, I think it was really important to take a step back and say, this has been a really successful business. They've grown and they've grown because they have done what they have done. And you need to not take that away. With that, that builds trust as well. So I think that comes on to, I think the single biggest thing is trust. You need to, you need to gain it, but you also need to be trusted um, to make the decisions that you need to do as a CTO. I think the difference between being a um, a tech lead or like just a leader in technology to a CTO is you're actually looking at more than technology. You're looking at the future structure of the business. You're actually looking at the operating model. You're looking at the, I mean, you have to have an understanding of the marketing. You have to have an understanding of the whole picture, right? You mentioned a, a really important point there. And I think, as you say, for a lot of companies and leaders listening that have companies that are now hybrid communication, naturally you get people in a room and say, it's a nice, easy thing, right? But when you've got people that are now working very hybrid models, what tactics for you guys have been the most effective to ensure that your tech teams are engaging with the uh, other departments in the business? This was actually really difficult, especially 
because while you're hiring leaders or while you're creating the teams, you you don't, I mean, it, it can be alienating to throw everyone in a room and then say, get on, you know, get on with each other, discuss, talk, and you have all the different personality types without anyone kind of managing it. Um, but then the, opposite, the converse is you build silos. So I think for us, what's worked really well is, um, I mean, we're again, not perfect, but the goal is to try to create these cross-functional, it's not cross-functional teams, because my one thing about cross-functional teams is it's really hard, in my experience, to have very like long-lived cross-functional teams. And with cross-functional teams, the idea of support and looking at what you've done in the past becomes a little bit difficult because you you change your cross-functional team based on the goal that they're aligned on. So with e-com, with a website, the, everything we build, even if it's not being looked at or is is a, has a campaign behind it, it's live. So we need the teams to support it. So that's my one thing of like, we need to have owners and you still need to own elements of the business or functionality or features that aren't prominent in the next three month strategy. So with that in mind, it's it's more like you have your, we have our core teams with those um kind of like the tribes, but it's, it's uh, those kind of verticals. And then across that, um, based on which projects each vertical has, they all support uh, the systems. But then we, we create cross-functional projects. And so it's kind of a, a take on cross-functional teams, but more based on different deliverables. So as the deliverables change, those cross-functional teams might change. Let's talk then about what do you define culture as here? That's that's really something where we're we're taking a real look at again now because the last I mean even the last six months um, with I mean the last three months with kind of less mandated lockdown more about individual you know um, capabilities or if you can travel in uh, you know the opening of the offices and all that it's it's really brought about like what is our culture and what you find in large organizations or growing organizations is you have mic- you have multiple microcultures and actually. I like to say, I mean, the way I think of culture, just like a community is it evolves. So anytime you say this is our culture, actually, you're like, you're going to evolve from that. And the culture should be ground up, right? Like culture doesn't come from the leaders. The leaders support the community to build a culture that works for the community, right? And I'd say really our, our focus is to have a diverse culture, um, but one where there is a core alignment so we all kind of believe in the direction. We believe in what we're doing. So belief, trust are really core. Back in the day, like I used to study uh, motivational theories and there's a uh, McGregor theory, X theory, Y management. And I always like to fall back on that. And like the theory X being, if you empower people and trust people, nine out of 10 times, they will actually be conscientious. They will care. You obviously have outliers, but you shouldn't let that too badly affect the community. And I think that's true in real life as well. So uh, that's really like where we're now going through an exercise where we're, we're having teams, we're having departments, we have our HR department running cultural exercises. And um, what we found is all the different departments have built quite a strong culture within themselves. So they've had to find new ways of working and work really well and deliver. The trick has been how do you create now that cohesive culture across departments, across people who don't naturally interact on a daily basis. And where we've got a number of things we're going to try. We, we even like, you know, and it's all around social activity. So in summer, we did a steps challenge. When it was the lockdown, we created a, a teams across the whole business. Um, obviously, if people who wanted to, to opt into to it um, to see how many steps we could do as teams over six weeks. In the workplace, in what we do, we're trying to better align goals. So 
we can celebrate each other's successes a little bit more. I think that's really hard to do. And I think that's, that's something that will need to evolve over time as well. One of the really enjoyable things is now finally where all the conditions have been dropped and dropped and dropped, being able to have some clubs come back. And actually, I've asked the staff, I'd make sure I do like a, uh, a sit down with different groups across the business each quarter, right? A little sit down, hour and a half, have some wine and pizza or tea, whatever you, whatever it is, um, and talk about additional things that we could do as a business that would be good. So like we've we've got a rock climbing club that started that's had like a number of people like absolutely loving that. We've got a painting club. Having a positive, engaged, energized environment. If you don't have that, I think you're in a bit of trouble, right? And I think yeah, harnessing that kind of um, that culture is, is is what everyone wants to do. What have been a couple of the toughest lessons that you've that you've begrudgingly learned in the last eighteen months here? I think we all recognise that yes. no one will ever do anything perfectly. But if you were speaking to a, a, a guy or a girl who is about to go through a big technology team growth, uh, similar to what you guys have done, what what would be some of the advice that you'd give out to them? I think first, from a, a people uh, perspective, it's really important to have good touch points with uh, your direct reportees or your manage your managers with their reportees because actually it's it's when you're in lockdown or when you're more isolated or when you're forced to face certain realities different people process that differently some people thrive some people do better some people you know hit walls some people kind of suddenly family becomes difficult like you say when we had um, lockdown and people homeschooling or people were away from their families and they lived alone and and all that like it's really important to to see what people need and how they are, because I think mental health is actually something that can take a hit and it's, it's hard to see. It's, it's not a, you know, broken arm. It's, it's especially at the end of a video call or in a meeting where the people who are probably struggling are least likely to speak up, even in a one-to-one kind of saying everything's fine. It's really hard to get that touch point. So I think it's really important to have a good people strategy. When you're, especially the first time, when you're in fear of how, what's going to happen to the business, I think it's really important to keep in mind it's also what's going to happen to people. From a technology standpoint, I think for us, we were doing a lot of like all this, all the product releases, all the changes to the website, all the new feature development, but also massive system change. And one of the learnings uh, for us was when we first kicked off, let's say, an e-commerce three platform, it was very much tech-led. It was very much you know a technology project. But what came very apparent very quickly was there's a lot of processes and there's a lot of insight across the business. So I think the important thing is how do you keep cross-departmental influence and communication when going through this? Because that did catch us out at the start. So everyone runs and goes, oh my God, I need to get these things done. How is my team going to work? What tooling do I need? And okay, these are the things I need to deliver. But then it's very easy to create those silos. And I think we got caught with that at the start. You mentioned something before, and you're absolutely right, a, a people strategy. When you are starting out in something, I refer to it as the mud, right? You're in the mud, you are fighting hard. Everyone's just getting their heads down and like, wait, what can we do? What can we do? How soon should businesses have stuff like a people strategy? It, it's such a tough balance, isn't it, between strategy and doing? So actually, I think you're right. Like when you're a startup, survival, right? It's, is this going to work? I don't even know if I have a, a commercial or marketable or even a, a product people want. I'm not, am I really solving your problem? So you want to prove that. So really it's about identifying your, your USP or what your business needs are. I think 
you actually need to think about it from the beginning. You just don't need to have it as a prominent. And I think people are worried, like to a lot of people, words like strategy and process. You're like, oh my God, red tape, uh, big business. Now you're talking about, I'm not enterprise. We, we don't need to think about that right now. But actually it's as complicated or as simple as you, as you let it be. I think the second you start bringing in more people and you're growing your business, it needs to be a thought. It doesn't need to be the biggest plan. You don't have to overthink it, but you need to start it then because like everything else, if you build it from the foundation, it pays dividends. We would almost have to pause elements of the business to think of business strategy, um, think of actually what is our USB, but like because that was done ground up and there's always been reinvented or rethought throughout the life of Training London, Actually, it's been easier to, to think of what is our tech strategy going to be? Um, what platforms do we need? How do we predict? And I think that's quite important, again, with people. So I think it doesn't mean you have to hire. This is the balance. Hiring for now or hiring for the future. It doesn't mean you always have for the future, but it means you make a conscious decision about who you need to bring in and actually what their growth needs to be, depending on activity in the business. And I think that also helps people come into to a startup, but also understand where they could get to if, if certain things happen, right? Is there anything significant that you wish you'd done sooner or a little bit like, you know, the rabbit being out the hat or you didn't do at all? Is there anything like that you're looking back and like, wow, that was a, <laughs> yeah, I'd have done that differently. I mean, in a, in a weird way, I always think it's learning. So I'm not sure because you never know what it would have turned out like if you did things differently. But I think I jumped quite heavily into the tech structure, the team structures, how tech was organized, and more trying to align tech strategy to the business strategy in my first six months with the hiring and everything. Um, I think, if anything, it would have been focused more or focused sooner on the business and tech alignment and the bigger strategy piece as, a, as an organization so it wasn't, you know, here's the tech strategy, here's the business strategy, here's the marketing strategy, here's the physical product strategy, and look at how we could gain efficiencies through alignment and then build upon that. Yeah, that's good. That's a, a, that's a good one to share. I'm sure there'll be some uh, people nodding as they, as they listen to that to hear that have been through a, a similar type of journey. And one of the other things I wanted to cover with you, I mean, you, you guys are, as far as I can see, fighting on two fronts, right? You're in a technology space in London, and let's be fair, it's been going a bit crazy out there and uh, finding good talent is a, an, in, an incredibly tough challenge for lots of London businesses. When you combine the fact that the cosmetics industry is also astonishingly competitive as well, that's quite a few things in relation to um, making sure that your hiring is, is bang on. How do you try and make sure that Trini differentiates, say, uh, differentiates itself to secure that level of class of talent? One of the things that Trini London for technology anyway is, and I mean, I faced this at the start, especially technologists, not, they don't often accredit cosmetics or beauty industry to technology, at least in the e-commerce sense, because a lot of it is retail or hybrid or omni-channel and multi-channel applications. Um, and actually what is happening with beauty and cosmetics is pushing the forefront of technology. So I think one thing is first having the wider technology market understand what's happening in this industry and in e-commerce as well, being an e-commerce first organization and how a lot of the efficiencies, a lot of the scale, a lot of the power of consumer habits is being driven now through 
um, e-commerce or, or online digital transformations. Then I actually think we have a really, well, I think I would do, I'm biased, but mm-hmm. we have a really good strategy in how we push technology, but we also facilitate a business. So we like to think of ourselves as a technology first business, but we are driving a physical product. We haven't found anyone who's who's doing what we're doing in the way we're doing it. I'm, I'm not going to too much detail because I'm, I'm going to have our CTA, Jay, probably do a whole um, talk on it. But the idea there is it, it's enabling what we get out of micros, um, microservices, microservices architecture in the back end, in the front end, but also enabling the content team and the business to publish easier, to manage uh, campaigns and to manage products easier. So that's that's one of our internal projects. We're looking at API gateways and how we can better manage the, the Microsoft architecture we put in behind the scenes. So that's, that's some of the tech stuff. Then we're also looking at um, front-end. Um, like right now we're in React, but we, we've... We've played with different front-end architectures. We've even looked and are looking at technologies like Golang. And then we have the features. So we're launching brand new, we have massive plans for the next six months, uh, launching brand new products, new campaigns. So if you're actually really into the the consumer side of things, a lot of work on different personas, on tracking that data and how we accredit different buyer habits. Um, so again, if you're really interested on that side of things, when people say, well, it's just a website, isn't it? It's it's just uh, yeah. It's just a shop. We're so much more. <laughs> Do you know what? I, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask is what part of the technology strategy are you, are you most focused on right now? But you've just listed out about five or six different things as part of that overall strategy to hear. So, um, yeah, I, I think that kind of uh, that question I wanted to ask is a bit null and void. Is, is there a particular singular focus or like the, the biggest priority right now from a technology strategy perspective? So, again, this is how we've structured the business so we can focus on multiple things. So, I mean, um, we have projects going on about penetrating new markets. Um, we already sell internationally and we've shipped to over 70 countries, but we're, we've, we're looking at internationalization and localization across different markets, um, different languages, different currencies. That's one. We're also looking, I mean, if, so we have a lot of projects going on and improving and scaling our distribution with different ERP platforms. And we also are looking at the re-architecture of the site. So I'd say those are our three main, I mean, there's a lot of other things, but um, we're looking at a few up and coming kind of what's next, what's the 10% we think could blow us out of the water kind of thing. How do you go about developing yourself as a leader? <laughs> I, I like. I think you never stop learning. And it is it is about good people. So for me, I've I've had you know I'm lucky enough to have some really good managers and mentors who've who've helped me through you know my questions um, and struggles. But I've also had really good people in my team who I've learned from. And um, you know, it's how I keep the most aggressive technology. It's how we really look at what's best for the platforms. So I think it's it's communication. Like you've, you've really got to, I mean, you, you could read technology blogs, you can become a really good technologist, you can go on all the courses, you can follow all the, you know, really good leaders and person out there, but really it's getting out there and talking to people. And it's, it's being able to balance the emotive with the structured and data. So if you go too far on the, how people feel or how you feel or how things look, you're likely to miss things. If you go too far on, I want metrics, I want to know cycle times, and I want to know velocity, and I want to know um, 
code quality or number of releases and everything. Again, you could miss what's happening behind the scenes. So it's it's the ability to really multitask, I think, and to to be able to balance the the data and the the kind of emotions behind that. You have to not be afraid to get your hands dirty as well. How do you as a leader ensure that balance is as correct as it can be? I don't think it's ever perfect, right? But how do you, are there any particular, you know, do you take yourself away for a day a month? Do you, how do you ensure that that balance is right? I think headspace is really important. So you need to make sure you do, you do use time to ensure you get that headspace. But it's also having people who can hold you accountable. So I'm by no means unaccountable and not perfect. So my team should be able to call me out. They should be able to disagree. It should be a safe space. Uh, we should be able to have heated arguments, um, arguments maybe the word heated discussions. But then a phrase I love is like disagree and commit. Like, you know, I have to be able to let, let people have the room to prove me wrong. You know, we're human. So you're always going to have your bias. You're always going to have your subconscious kind of instinct. Even if you think, well, I'm, I'm totally impartial to this. There's, I don't think there's any real total impartiality, right? So you've got to create a structure where your blind spots and and you're able to be questioned. And it's got to be safe. I think room like everyone's got to have room for failure, including leaders. But it's it's the impact and the consequence of those failures that you need to manage. That's it. And I, I think there's a lot to be said as well of having a message that every single person in the organization is going to get things wrong. And sometimes holding your hands up and say, guys, wow, I made an absolute boohoo there, right? That was, that's on me. I've learned from it on we go. I think having that running through a business can be a very powerful thing. Because as you say, if people are terrified of admitting failure or failing itself, then it's going to be, it's going to come unstuck at some stage. So almost everyone at every position saying, wow, I've got that one and this is what I'm going to do better now. I think is, is an important thing. I, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And I, I like the phrase you used earlier as well. And I also think having, a multitude of different mediums for that. I love walking around the office, but there's some people that won't like me turning up at the desk or won't fight, you know, or, or whatever it may be. So it's like making sure there's as many different types of events going on. And is there any one thing to hear, but maybe from a technology perspective, is there any one thing that you think more people should know? That's an interesting question. I mean, I because it's all based on experience, right? Um, a phrase, I love phrases. So a phrase I love as well is, you know, common sense isn't that common, right? Uh, and so just because something may be common sense to me or I think it's common sense or even the other way around, someone else might think it's common sense, it may not be that directly plausible to me. And so I think it's knowing that you're probably missing something. But actually what I'm really interested in is what don't I know? Yeah. I, you, you, you've talked about phrases a few times. I, I, I adore the one, you don't know what you don't know. It's, 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 it's a bit ludicrous in some ways, but it's, it's such a bang on point, which is why you need to hire and get people in that do you know these things that we've all got the blind spots for, because we all have our strengths. And I think lots of times, we were definitely in the early days of the business, a bit too fixated on trying to get people to be perfectly rounded, business people, recruiters, leaders, whatever it may be. That's just impossible. The reality is we've all got our natural strengths. We shouldn't be just trying to work on the weaknesses continue. It's like, well, how do we do more of the strengths? How do we make sure that we have other people doing the things that I'm less good at? And I think uh, great boards and great, you know, C-suite teams hopefully do that. I know that the level of detail that Glenn, the COO, does in our business, I couldn't do it in a, in a, in a month of Sundays, or it would take a month of Sundays to kind of get there. 
And the reality is there'll be strengths at either. And I think as long as you have a bit of a blended approach in your leadership team where different people fit different boxes, I think that'll be, um, I think that's important, isn't it? And I think on a, on a technology or transformation level, no transformation project will go to plan. Because I think, um, I mean, we've done a few now and we're going through one right now and it's, it's planning for that. It's knowing that, how can I break this down? And the difficulty is when you're doing, especially when you're early, like especially in an e-commerce business, let's say you're moving to e-commerce, you build something up, it works. Now I need an e-com platform. I need an e-com backend or I need payment services. How, what do I do with PCI? What do I do with um, like shipment and distribution? And it's, there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of platforms out there and they, you know, they'll all do the job, but it's important to be able to manage that. And I think it's really dangerous to go to an external supplier or uh, company and say, solve my problems or tell me what I should do. They can guide you. They can say, this is what people do. Tell You can ask what, what's the industry standard, but I think it's really dangerous going into something, expecting someone else to solve that problem without someone in your organization or team taking the time to understand it. A um, couple of like more lighthearted things to wrap up our conversation to here. There's been some really great learnings during that. Thank you so much for all the sharing that you've done. Um, is there been a book, podcast, or movie that you'd recommend that you've taken long-lasting learns from? <laughs> it's a really weird one. It's a really old one and, and one book I haven't thought of for a long time. But there's the there's a book called The Inspector Calls, which is really old and actually nothing to do with technology, and it's 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 a kind of a crime who done it kind of thing. But I really like it because it it really shows you difference between surface and what's behind the scenes and it really goes into different character development and and the way different people think and under pressure and all that and i think it's a it's a really good analogy for how you could you know like an organization a community and how things you watch out for things you need to think about and not just take things for surface value um and i think really um I mean, we all talk about Agile and there's a lot of books and a lot of literature out there and th there's a lot of really good support out there. My experience is to be a bit careful about being too heavy in terms of what's down on paper to your experiences in, in life. So I think the key thing about Agile implementation is taking guides and then finding different things that work for you. And there is no one implementation of Scrum, no one implementation of SAFE, or no one implementation of, you know, like um, uh, code deployment, uh, testing practices that you should just stick to without looking at what works for your organization, if that makes sense. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and finally, um, to hear, favorite way to spend an afternoon off to unwind? So me, I have heavily missed going to the gym. And I love gaming, but actually just exercise and, and mindset. There used to be the place where I put my headphones on and what I do. I've, I've just recently had a baby as well. So that's, that it's not just work, <laughs> but uh, I'm very much looking forward to trying to find that time to, to just switch off and be in my own space, Absolutely. hit a few bags. I, I, I'm, I'm, it never ceases to amaze me of getting some endorphins going of the, of the impact it has for energy levels and mental health and all those kind of things. So yeah, I'm not, not surprised and with the a, 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 a new one in the household to hear. I'm sure a bit of a quiet solo time isn't too isn't too common right now. So uh, that's that's a, a that's a good chair for sure. 
Yeah, uh, Tahir, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your leadership learns with us today. And I'm sure there's going to be lots that resonates with the listeners and likely they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Um, thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Thanks again, Tahir. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thanks for having me.